Welcome to Cult and Classic. <laughs> Welcome, friends and fiends, to another episode of Cult and Classic Podcast, a podcast where we discuss two thematically relinked films, a more mainstream film and a more cult film, and we talk about them both. I am your host, Nate Wyckoff, comedian and film critic for HorrorNews.net, as well as other places, and I'm really excited to uh, dive into today's theme choices, which are uh, Strange Magic, a.k.a. the lesser-known films about Doctor Strange, the famous but second-level tier Marvel comic book character. Uh, in 2016, of course, Benedict Cumberbatch became... Uh, um, Dr. Stephen Strange in the shared Marvel universe to fairly high acclaim. I personally enjoyed that movie a lot. And this is a great 70s uh, Marvel character when they weren't afraid to get a little weird. Lots of crossovers with Steve Gerber's comics like Man-Thing and, and of course the amazing Howard the Duck. Uh, that is not a joke. If you don't know, read the Howard the Duck comics. They're epic. But there are two films that uh, were done before the 2016 Benedict Cumberbatch Doctor Strange movie. First up is the Doctor Strange TV film from 1978. And then there is the 1990, I believe it's 1992 uh, film, Doctor Mordred, which uh, is a Doctor Strange film, sort of, and we'll talk about what that means when we get there. But we're going to start with 1978's Doctor Strange. Before we dive into the film itself and all the interesting things surrounding this, I'm going to introduce you to your panelists this week. We have with us Jeffrey Tucker. How are you doing, Jeff? Just like the 1978 Doctor Strange, my superpower is being ultra sexy. It's true. And uh, those of you who are interested, uh, we do have our episodes loading uh, at a later date than airing on the podcast, but they load in video form on YouTube as well in the Cult and Classic podcast channel. So check that out. And we also have the wonderful Amanda Longley. How are you doing, Mandy? I'm hanging in there today. Hanging in there, hanging in there. We, of course, for anyone who's like, how come Nate's so chipper? How come other people sound less energetic? It's because we're on different coasts. So depending on when we record this podcast, uh, half of us are awake and half of us are delirious. Um, so yeah. I thought it was the cocaine. Uh, uh, okay. So the next and final panelist to round out our cast is Tad Mastriani. How are you doing, Tad? I don't need a PhD to do this podcast. Bum, ba -da -bum, bum, doctor yeah only one of them actually seems to have a well i guess they both have a phd but neither of them really come into play uh yeah so i'm excited about this uh those who listen to the podcast often will know that i'm a comic book fan as, as are all of us and uh dr strange is one of my favorite characters because i really like the occult area i mean many of the films we talk about on cult and classic podcast have some sort of occult vibe in fact cult is in the name of the podcast uh yeah but it's a strange property for Marvel because Marvel tends to have more popular um, science-y uh, properties like Iron Man, Spider-Man, you know, is, is the product of science gone awry, the Hulk, the product of science gone awry, all of these things, they science-based. So they get a little weird or strange, if you will, when they move into the magic territory. And Doctor Strange is a really cool uh, character. The, there's been a few different origins that they've messed with in the Marvel universes, but the one that is standard, and I believe the original as well, is that uh, Dr. Stephen Strange is a master surgeon, and his hands become damaged to the point where he's essentially crippled uh, with his hands and he can no longer operate. So he goes uh, to, I think, the Himalayas to, to seek out someone called, referred to as the Ancient One, uh, a mystic who supposedly has the power to heal him. Well, 
Yes and no. He ends up uh, doing sort of a Batman, but instead of becoming a vigilante, he becomes a mystic protector of this plane of existence. Um, and uh, he learns that his, his need for notoriety and physical success is, is uh, unnecessary because he is, uh, there are multiple planes and, and the things he thought were important are not important. And the things that he didn't even think about are actually what's important. So it's kind of a self-revelation uh, series as well as a mystic arts series. Uh, he is known also as the Sorcerer Supreme, and in 1978, this is uh, kind of at the start, middle-ish of like Marvel's dig into TV fame and fandom. Uh, of course, there was the early Spider-Man live-action TV show, which I used to watch all the time, reruns as a kid, where we had Spider-Man climbing up walls, which were actually floors that he would climb on and then they just turned the film sideways which is actually really genius that film mostly had spider-man getting his butt kicked over and over again by common thugs um but it's fun time there's several uh tv movies edited out of individual episodes that you can find online on vhs and dvd and so forth of that but also of course the very successful very well known uh the hulk series with uh, uh strongman lou ferrigno as the physical hulk there was um, a long-running series it was very successful it brought the hulk to uh, the masses uh, and also it resulted in uh, i think two tv movies thereafter uh, ending with the, the death of the hulk and i think was it was it 90 i mean it was 86 somewhere in there You'll, you can imdb that you don't need me for that but during this, Marvel started to bring in other properties to this universe, trying to experiment and branch out. They were never quite as successful as the Hulk, um, but in, I think, the first Hulk TV movie, they brought in Thor, God of Thunder, who is in the current iterations of Marvel films, played by Chris Hemsworth, who is massive uh, and a great cast. And then he also uh, brought in Captain America. And Captain America actually had two films during this run, uh, Captain America and Captain America 2, Death Too Soon. I'm not going to spoil anything on those um, except to say that he wears a motorcycle helmet that's sort of Captain America-ish, but we will actually be covering these films in a future Cult and Classic podcast, uh, so I won't spoil those, but they are available, and they're actually available from Shout Factory on DVD as a, as a two-pack, so you can check those out on your own if you like, or you can wait until we talk about it and decide yourself. The other property that they tried to launch was a TV series based on Doctor Strange called Doctor Strange, that is D.R. Strange. Uh, if you're watching a video of this, the interesting poster I found from overseas for this film says Doctor, all spelled out. That's not technically correct. It was promoted, written, and copyrighted and all that jazz as D.R. Strange, Doctor Strange. So this is the 1978 pilot, which uh, those familiar with pilots, especially from the 70s through the 90s, it was essentially a movie and they were like, we will show this and if people are interested and we can garner enough support, then it will be a series continuing on after that. A lot of times now a pilot is just a small short episode with probably not finalized casting uh, that's sort of a proof of concept. Um, but this was like many of the time, a really a full movie. Um, it did not result in a series. I have some theories as to why. Um, and believe it or not, my personal theory is not that it's terrible, uh, but there are some problems uh, deserved and undeserved. 
Now, this film is directed by Philip Daguerre Jr. as Philip Daguerre, and Philip wrote for lots of TV shows. Uh, most recently, he uh, wrote for, for JAG up until his, his death in 2005. Uh, but he also wrote a couple of episodes and directed them for The Twilight Zone in the 80s, which I'm sure came off of the heels of doing this pilot. Uh, he also wrote for Simon and Simon, Air America, 18 Wheels of Justice, the Dead Zone TV series in the 2000s. Um, so really kind of all over the place, uh, but definitely experienced in the TV world. Never really branched into the, the full-fledged silver screen. Uh, it starred Peter Houghton as... Um, Doctor Strange himself. Uh, I always think of him as Paul from the horror movie Orca, the killer whale, but he also was Tony in the original Inglorious Bastards film, not to be confused with the Quentin Tarantino homage. And um, the the villain uh, uh, of this, excuse me, not the villain, Wong, who fans of the comics and fans of the 2016 movie will recognize as sort of the Asian assistant to... Uh, to the ancient one who who is the teacher uh, of of Doctor Strange uh, is played in this by Clyde uh, Kusatsu, and Clyde Dev very recognizable. Um, he's still acting all the way up to today. He's got upcoming series uh, work going out. He was in, geez, he was in Doctor Ken, the short-lived uh, sitcom. Uh, he was he does voice work. He was in Major Laser, all sorts of stuff. And then we have uh, Anne-Marie Martin, who plays Clea, Clea Lake, which is the love interest in the comics of Doctor Strange. She's really interesting. She uh, was one of the leads in Prom Night, the 80s horror flick that's much loved by cult fans. But also she's a writer, and she actually wrote the script for Twister. So fascinating links here. Uh, and then we get to my favorite cast member, Jessica Walter. Uh, She's an incredibly competent and established actress who's still working today. And I am deeply in love with her for voicing Mallory Archer in the animated TV show Archer starring H. John Benjamin on, on FX. Uh, she's great. She's absolutely great. And she's beautiful in this. She gets to play uh, Morgan or Morgana, the, uh, the evil sorceress, who is the sort of uh, antithesis of Doctor Strange. I've babbled a lot. Um, let's just say that the plot of this follows Doctor Strange being contacted by uh, the original or the previous Sorcerer Supreme, taught the magic arts, sort of against his will, being tempted by Morgana, uh, and then turning away from her in order to save his predecessor and his, uh, his sort of love icon, Clea Lake. There's a lot of weird moments in this movie, and there's uh, some dull stretches, I feel. So we're going to dive right in here uh, before we get into the, the ins and outs of what worked and what didn't and why maybe it wasn't picked up. We're going to start with Tad, because I know Tad is a Doctor Strange fan, and I'm sure he has a huge amount to say. Okay, let me pull out my notes here, Nate, because um, I, ha I, I, I had a few. Um, this just is the couple, whitest... Just a couple of nuggets. Sure. This is the whitest black exploitation film I've ever seen. Um, that's one. Okay. Um, two, it's a porno that never gets past the five minutes of plot buildup. Fair. Oh, I, I, we'll talk. So let's talk about that first. Let's do this quick breakdown. <laughs> so I'm assuming with black exploitation, you're talking about the the fashions, but also the music. Yes, um, especially the music. The music. I'm going to say this. We're going to talk about music in in the second version. We're going to talk Dr. Mordred as well. The music in this is, I think, friggin' phenomenal. Um, it goes from like sort of a psychedelic 70s uh, stoner rock to like this really uh, discordant, um, 
sort of goblin-esque soundtrack from Suspiria inspired film music, especially in the beginning. I thought it was way head and shoulders above uh, a lot of the stuff that we heard in say the Hulk, which is an iconic soundtrack, but I wouldn't say it's ageless by any stretch, but I actually would put a lot of this in my movie now. Um, mm -hmm. But let's keep going. What else it's you got? not. It's it's not exactly the the soundtrack from the six million dollar man. I can tell you that much. That is true. <laughs> I, I would say like the uh, the soundtrack almost overpowered some of the scenes. I, I'd it say does. that would be it's, the one it's, downside it to it. It yeah. was very good, and the music was exceptional. But it it almost was a little too extra for some of the. Like, you know, it was just like a scene of a person walking like across a you know a yard, and, and then like kind up of a, a lot escalator of or something of, like just banal things in the middle of yeah. this film and then you, you have this really end. intense like just it's just such extra music over it it's like okay this this music is way overpowering this scene it's uh, i'm um, enjoying it but it's like it's it, it's very noticeable um, it's um anybody could watch it without yeah that that's a uh, that's actually that's actually part of what i was thinking when i was watching the movie is there are so many high-pitched sounds that just drone into your head while you're trying to watch this movie like I watched the um, the Orson Welles War of the Worlds um, colorized movie when I was a kid, and that sound always sticks in my head. That sound when the aliens are hovering around and the, the yeah, it's all through this movie. They just recycled it, and I mean it's it's iconic. It's an iconic sound, but it doesn't belong in this movie. It's like every time Morgana shows up or Morgan, I, I always call her Morgana. But when Morgan shows up, it, it you hear this sound, and I'm just like, oh, the aliens are about to melt me when the uh -huh. <laughs> um so my third note was this is like a really crappy doctor who episode like some of the special well, effects some of the sounds some quite of the damning i would say because doctor who has some obscenely crappy episodes some of the, oh, some of the earliest episodes are just trash and i've got i i'm a i'm an old school lover so i can say that uh fairly but yeah i so let's let's there's a lot there to unpack. Let's see. Let's move along. Mandy, what was your feel when you watched this film? I was really hoping for more um, cleat fronted pants, which I was rewarded <laughs> with in the next you film. Were, you were, yeah. It, it moved on and it took over. The <laughs> '80s really hit hard in Doctor Mordred. We'll talk about that. Yeah. No, the '90s. But I don't know. I I guess um, to steal a line from was it. Um, 10 things I hate about you like can, can you just be whelmed because I didn't feel like overwhelmed or really <laughs> underwhelmed by like either of these they were just very like I guess like tv movies and not um really characters that I'm super familiar with um it, so I was just like yeah okay like this is some interesting kind of weird storylines I could follow it uh yeah but like ultimately meh Kind Fair. Of. Jeff, yeah. what was your expectation and then what was your take on it? Because I know that you actually expected it, especially if you look at screenshots with the super 70s, like shaggy hair and big mustaches. Yeah. Um, you were expecting, I think, worse than you probably got. Yeah. So I think I think it's it, it's a bit forgotten. And so things like that are really popular content that they have something that's forgotten, like a Star mm -hmm. Wars special or tend to be on the bad side. Like people don't forget that stuff unless there's a reason. Um <laughs> But I actually thought it was better than than that. I, I, I thought this was actually could be somewhat memorable. Uh, my problem with this film is 
it, they really went down like a romance, like seduction route. Yeah. Um, even further than like the occult, um, which, which was weird. And it, it, I don't know, it came off strange a couple of times. Like, like I, I joked at the beginning, like my superpower is I'm super sexy, but that honestly was like for the first half of the film, Dr. Strange's superpower. He yeah. defeats Morgan Le Fay because he's super sexy and she doesn't want to kill him. Um, yeah. And yeah. it's just like, <laughs> it's just like, I, Tad, Tad I don't know. Said like, it. He said, you know, it was like a pornography film from the seventies that never got started was, or, or that never continued on. And it's interesting because this, so I, I'm going to hazard my guess as to why this didn't get picked up is that actually it pushed a couple of envelopes a little bit too far for primetime TV at this time um, because the Hulk, you never, you got the sort of uh, the, the same thing as like, you got the same level of like love quote unquote or romance as you got in the fugitive TV show, right? Like, you know that they loved this person and that's enough to cause tension. But in Dr. Strange, he's actually, they insinuate that he's a bit of a ladies man in the beginning. He's got lipstick on his collar and he's, you know, always telling the nurse that he's going to call her, which he never ever does in the movie. Um, and then, you know, Morgana is like, she's been imprisoned in, in another plane for several hundred years. And she doesn't kill Dr. Stephen Strange when she gets the chance because at first because she's physically attracted to him and, and has to have love, which is redonkulous. You know, I mean, it's, I don't, I'm going to stop short of saying it's sexist, but I am going to say that it's without additional information, it's questionable. Um, but there's also like, Clea Lake's character, or, or the character Clea Lake, um, is very aggressive. Uh, Anne-Marie Martin's character, she's pretty aggressive with uh, Stephen Strange for a comic book TV show um, in that, like, when she basically is possessed by Morgana and pushes the original Sorcerer Supreme or the previous one over an overpass. He survives, um, but she thinks she's killed him. And because she's been touched by evil, essentially, she's um, destined to die. We assume in her sleep of some kind, she's her, her, her spirit is pulled to another plane. And Stephen Strange, who treats her at the hospital, um, is contacted by the original Sorcerer Supreme and says, hey, you've got a talent, you have to be the next protector, but it has to be your choice. And he ultimately does it to save both Clea Lake and this old man sorcerer before him. But like she recovers initially um, and is like, you want to go out? Like she's pretty forward about it. She's like, we should hang out. And he's like, well, a doctor and patients, I'm not a patient anymore. Come on over. And then when he comes over, she kisses him. And then they, at one they start to roll around on her bed. And then she's essentially attacked again. And Morgana shows up and tries to do a, a sort of temptation of Christ um, and and offer Doctor Strange all sorts of riches, which he's pretty open to accepting uh, until he sees the old man dying in the, in the other plane uh, and and decides to push back. So it's interesting because I did not expect that in this film, and I don't know if it's maybe that they thought maybe they thought in the TV movie in the pilot, they could push it a little farther than they ultimately would in the series. But I have a feeling that it was kind of an intentional choice to say, let's see if we can get a little more with this because the Hulk series really was like a human interest story, right? Like he really just blew into every town, uncovered some crime going on and solved it and made some normal blue collar person 
like their life a little better and then blew to the next town. Um, you got some interesting human interest stories, but otherwise it was like the A-team, right? Like he shows up, fixes something and then leaves. Uh, and, and Dr. Strange, that's not the way they've set this up. Um, and the second point that I'd like to touch on to say is that the occult elements in this were, I think, probably a little unsettling for a good chunk of the audience for prime time, especially that time, very Bible belt, um, middle class. Like it opens with Morgana in what looks like some hell realm talking to a big puppet sculpture that's mostly obscured by smoke and has four glowing eyes and has like a beak. Um, they've never speak on what he is, but we can assume from the Marvel comics that he's uh, uh, Dormammu or Dormammu or Dormu, however you would say that name, uh, which is in the 2016 film as well. And there's lots of occult imagery throughout. Most of it's made up, but um, that with the the quote that they open with, which is very much, there are other planes of existence, there's good and evil, and there's a constant battle, and some people on our plane are pulled in. It just, it felt what I would call unwholesome to someone who is uh, actually scared of an, a real-life devil, which I think is still a prominent part of the TV viewership. I mean, we have seen previous elections and how uh, zealous religious things can get, but... I think that was a lot more than they were expecting. I can't think of another show that openly had things that close to Satanism and, the, and, and demonology and things like that that hit prime time. I mean, later on, you got things like Kolchak and Night Stalker, things like that, that that pushed closer. And then the 90s, Kindred and things like that, that really kind of overwhelmed the envelope. But at this point in time, I just can't see it. Uh, and I, I think that it was sort of dead on arrival because I really don't think that you would have gotten a lot of buy-in. I think, I think for TV stations were probably scared to push it that far. And that's why I think we ended up getting this whole middle segment that's like a, a, a hospital romance. There's so many scenes in the middle of a hospital um, with him just wandering back and forth, not doing much hospitalness. Um, I don't, you know, what is, what is, what is your take on that tad? Because that was where it fell apart for me before it came back at the end for me. I was hooked in the beginning and I was hooked at the end, but the middle, I was sort of like, how are we progressing? It felt like they were going back and forth between just Clea's in a, in a coma in the hospital and Dr. Strange is like, well, I've seen you do magic sorcerer, but I don't want to be a magician. This is a classic, um, movie that that shows just like how pacing matters because the first 30 minutes felt like an hour like i thought 30 minutes into this movie i literally was like oh this is this must be at the hour mark and i'm like 33 goddamn minutes are you fucking kidding me there's still an an hour of this movie left and then it turns out that he doesn't actually do anything Doctor Strange like until an hour in there's a half an hour in the movie left by the time he actually like gets powers and I'm pretty sure there's five minutes in the fucking movie left by the time he gets his costume I'm like are you fucking kidding me and by the way I did some research and it turns out I believe that that uh, the villain is actually the nameless one and I'm like of all the things they pick they pick the fucking nameless one yeah. never mind he sounds like Bane from the Dark Knight Rises like, no joke, like, the voice is like, this is the instrument of your liberation. This is the way he talks. And he, he talks like Tom Hardy. I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? That's an interesting thing to point his voice because he does have sort of a weird 
roughly British, roughly Eastern European voice. He's uncredited. It's the actor's David Cassidy. Um, excuse me, not David Cassidy, uh, not Ted Cassidy either. David Hooks. David Hooks uh, is is the voice of the nameless one. Uh, and I, I'm sure that they chose that intentionally because they also had the voice at one brief part of um, the, the actual ancient one, not not the not the human vessel um which is is what we we see uh him saving the old man um so i assumed that they wanted some sort of parallel um and and david hooks also he's very long time tv actor he was in time trackers um he was in uh remington steel uh in an episode lots of here or there he was several episodes of the original v miniseries uh, which is seeing a bit of a resurgence here but we we sort of get more of him than of any of dr strange's actual i don't know if you call it backstory but sort of as you said the the magic part um, we got a lot of the evil side of the magic part, which I think is engaging, but not very much of what Doctor Strange does. Um, and also, perhaps because of the limitations of what time they had left after working so much romance angle with Clea Lake, they uh, totally skip over his learning any actual magic. Um, he has his medallion, um, but he he's only told, like, when he goes to the higher plane for the first time to save Clea from her like coma he's given uh, a chance to drive demons away he uses it once shoves a demon away and then later on he tries it again and it doesn't work and he just has a power from his ring uh which is i guess you know his amulet at that at that point um and no no actual magic um whereas the sorcerer supreme uh it before him is sort of he's a jedi basically which makes sense like that's that's kind of what tilda swinton's ancient one was in the 2016 benedict cumberbatch right like you know wave a hand and someone is like yeah let me in oh okay i'll let you in that sort of thing i guess i, I saw one review online for this that i thought was pretty accurate and what the they titled it was the greatest superhero tv show we never got and I think it's accurate, not because this pilot was completely stellar, but because what it started to promise by the end was actually super interesting because there's a couple of elements it looked like they were leaning towards. One, he's a ladies' man, right? Stephen Strange is a ladies' man, but he's clearly got a relationship with this Clea Lake character by the end, who in many of the comic iterations becomes his disciple. Um, and... And also sometimes they have a kid, depending on which universe you're looking at. Uh, that sort of leads to a tag team, like um, the Thin Man uh, sort of husband-wife team element that could be interesting. And then you also have uh, the fact that his, his, his mentor, the previous Sorcerer Supreme, is still alive at the end, giving it a Kung Fu element, right? Like you're expecting that he will be trained as the series goes on. Then Morgana is, she, she fails, right? Uh, he rejects her. And uh, the, the nameless one says, you're going to be punished by being old for until you beg me to stop and I'll still keep you, whatever. Clearly not, because at the Either end way. of the movie, Clea, who doesn't really remember much, and, and he are setting up a date again, another first date. And uh, 
they pass the TV and there's Morgan who is essentially leading a cult under the guise of self-empowerment for young people, which is super interesting, especially in the seventies. Right. And, uh, and that's a really cool setup for how they could do what would certainly have to be done, limiting the special effects component while having a lot of intrigue in the real mortal world. So they had really good ideas. And I think that it had super strong promise to be much more interesting and much more complex than the other Marvel properties that had been on TV and were currently on TV. So I think that the promise was there. And I think that the cast was very strong, although again, they were given this whole center plot that was just cliche and unnecessary. Um, Cause we got some cool moments, right? Like I thought like when Morgan goes to, um, before Strange is officially inducted as the Sorcerer Supreme, the uh, his his to be mentor goes to his door and puts a charm there, and you don't know what's happened. Morgana shows up later, sees a cat, controls the cat, and sends the cat to the door. At which point, like electricity sparks, and the cat runs away, and she turns around. It's clearly been charmed. Like they have these little bits that are very sort of Dennis Wheatley '70s horror novel, like occult gothicy vibes, which I think is really appropriate for Doctor Strange. Um, but it just gives way to. I mean, it's about a, it's a little over an hour and a half, and it feels like probably fifty to to an hour is really just sort of dull talking head hospital play. And I think Tom Houghton as Dr. Strange, I actually found him quite charismatic. Like he's a good looking guy. His hair is bad, but it's the seventies. His mustache was actually appropriate for once. Um, and Dr. Dirk Diggler. <laughs> it's very much that. Uh, and, but, but I thought that there was a lot of promise. Um, again, I have a hard time imagining that the, the problematic dull middle is what killed this i think these projects tend to die before they air if they die and i think that's what happened with this one i think they looked at it and said hmm interesting well uh Duguier, you may be able to direct a couple episodes of i don't know the twilight zone if they ever do another series wink wink but this is too much for the mainstream mm. and i i, I want like i want to add in here so um i think that if you were making like a pilot, like there's like a couple of things you're trying to do, right? You're like trying to set up your show. You're trying to, you know, basically show what the show is. Like, you know, if mm -hmm. it's a, uh, you know, it's a procedural crime show, you know, you show your, you know, the structure or whatever that you're building in. Uh, and um, I, I, you know, obviously it has to be entertaining. Um, I think that this got caught up in trying to, like in its own origin almost um yeah but it, it, it got like it, it like you said like we don't know what the show is going to be is it going to be like a, a doctor show like a doctor drama in this hospital that we spend half the film in uh is it going to be a superhero film where like the the hospital is just like a way for him to meet like you know Casey crazy sword. people that have like run into you know, you know it's just like yeah. what is the show i don't know what the show is um I imagine it could be pretty interesting, but who knows? Um, and uh, yeah, like it, if you actually look at the structure of the film, it really is just, it's so weird because it's just origin. Like it's, it's mm -hmm. such an awkward thing. Like usually like if you watch it, 
superhero film the origin is like this part of the film it's like you know spider-man gets bit by a uh spider and then we move on there's some sort of drama that's related to it in this one it was like the drama was like part of the origin story right and the origin story was the whole thing and the ending essentially the end climax is him becoming dr strange um and so from that point it it almost has a hard time being entertaining um because it just doesn't have that flow and climax and because like at the end of the movie i'm like is is this the end like is there more like is there going to be another like thing that's going to happen i'm just like eh like where's my ending it and, just didn't it like kind of happened we'll talk about but it was this 20 minutes from the end and then there was just yeah it was, it was just it was more weird. shit it's like the i thought the movie ended and i walked out of the room because i fully expected the credits to roll and then i come back downstairs i'm like they're still talking what the fuck is going on <laughs> yeah it, so it just was it was so weird I've, i i feel like if they had just maybe done I, and i'm not going to say that this was a, a good example of it but so firefly shot a pilot and then they didn't air that first. They're like, no, we're not, you're, you're doing too much origin. Maybe we're just going to just give us a, one of your episodes. We're going to air that first and then we'll put the pilot in later. Um, and I think that the, I, I mean, I'm not saying I agree with this move, but it was like, here's what the show is. This is an entertaining episode. If you're into it, come back for the origin story in the second episode. And I think maybe this would have done better with that. Um, just just from uh, or maybe just have it be rewritten so that the first episode of the pilot was just more interesting and just wasn't bogged down by this well, and i know Tad yeah, hates this oh sorry yeah, maybe. yeah i was say? gonna say like i think that that you know it's just like in general like storytelling there are some stories that are really good to tell like from the beginning straight through step by step and then there are other stories like are much better in the telling where you like see part of the end first and then like you go back and like you fill it in once people really care about it and are hooked. Yeah. Um, this one took a long time to tell us not very much. Um, and honestly, like, you know, we're probably not going to see a lot of the elements um, that are are covered in this film, like in the TV show, like in the actual episodes. Like maybe, I mean, I would imagine that there's something going on with more Morgana, like, but... Um, I think that oh, you're yeah. kind of you're both right on the spot. I think what you're hinting at is that there we get tired of origins in this day and age because they've been rebooted so many times. We've seen them over and over again. So we're starting to see films that don't really give you an origin uh, or they give you just the opening scene is essentially the origin. Like Guardians of the Galaxy, only Peter Quill has uh, an origin and it's one scene. Uh, we get more as the series progresses, but um, we that's it. You know, you get little bits and pieces and that's all you really need because there's a plot ahead that they're going to tackle. And um, I, I respect what I think they were trying to do with this film, which was instead of making the origin exposition, which is essentially what origins tend to be, you know, relegated to, is look at all the shit you have to know in order to get this. And we get tired and we hate it. Um, or we already know it, like fans of the comics who were going to sit down to watch this already knew Doctor Strange, right? So instead they said, well, let's try and make the origin the story, um, which is kind of what you guys were getting at, right? The problem is, is that they took out the conflict from the origin. He is, and Tad's giving the, yeah, he's like, he's got a great life. He's a successful doctor. He's super handsome. He's super suave. And 
uh, normally it would be, oh, he has to overcome some great difficulty, like having your hands crippled, right? The end your career um, and having an entire, you know, collapse of your fragile self schema. Like these things have to happen in order for there to be some sort of change to the character. By the end of this, we really didn't see Dr. S Stephen Strange as the Sorcerer Supreme yet because he hadn't been trained and he really didn't overcome anything. He wasn't struggling uh, right. at all. Like, I mean, I understand why he was like, nope, I don't want anything to do with this. I saved my patient and I'm done. Why would he? I mean, really, like there was no drive. There was no selflessness. Like he, he acts selflessly. And I liked the, the things I did like in this is that in the um, in, in lots of the origin interpretations of Doctor Strange, including the 2016 um, Marvel Cinematic Universe entry, he's a jerk in the beginning. Um, he's really uh, self-absorbed and that's part of the transition for him, right? Uh, into, into something that's a protector, uh, the greater good, regardless of the small circumstance. And in this, the first thing we get of Dr. Strange is him walking to the hospital being a ladies' man, but then we get him sitting down with uh, an alcoholic woman who's in her 50s to 60s, who has ulcers, and she's begging him to give her something to sleep. And he's like, you have to lay off the booze because the ulcers are going to keep you up. And later we we see what we suspect which is this is a woman who's a repeat you know visitor and is chronic condition that's something they aren't really equipped to help um and they're like why are you bothering with her and what he does is says look you can stay here tonight and we'll give you something to sleep because you won't be able to get alcohol and you'll be able to sleep and they're like that's a bed that isn't that you know is being used and he's like no this is a person right this is a and that's a that was a neat moment and I appreciate that they did that because I think they understood that it was necessary to give him this sort of kind giving part because otherwise his decision to become the sorcerer wouldn't make any sense because he didn't have that hurdle anymore of having the broken hands and, and, and not knowing who he was, you know, uh, from an identity ego self perspective. So I liked that, but I think... And who knows if producers got involved and were like, hey, you can't do all this weird magic shit. Because there is. There's like a demon, Balthazar, uh, or um, it's, it's a, uh, Balza Balsmodius, I think. They, they just Asmodius. They just add B in front of it, I think. But um, he's like a, a demon knight on a horse. Like he's in there. There's spooky set pieces. Um, it must have cost a little more than the average Hulk episode, except for there were no explosions in it. So maybe not. It's hard to tell, but I feel like they, they were probably leaning in saying, hey, you can't do all of this shit all the time. You have to have, so they probably were like, okay, well, we'll put the hospital in because that's going to be, it's interesting, it's a hospital, this will be a strong main space for him. Problem is, is it's not interesting. And it wasn't, it seemed like an afterthought that crammed in to turn it into an hour and a half instead of an hour long episode. Um, so... There's it also that was not it was not period accurate because I didn't see one person light up in that hospital throughout the entire That's movie. True. Of course, to be fair, <laughs> you often wouldn't see that on prime time. It was one of those dirty little secrets that everybody lived. I mean, we saw it. You know, it's alive. Uh, the original version, like they're fucking smoking up in that hospital right next to the nursery. Like he's smoking a cigarette while he's looking at babies. Um, yeah. So, I so I guess what I'd like to say is that I actually found this much more interesting than I expected. I, I think like Jeff expected it to really be a heaping pile of 70s trash. And I love 70s trash, but 70s TV trash that's meant as a pilot and not a standalone 
has a special place in being dull, typically. And while this has dull moments, I did enjoy the idea of seeing a nameless, uh, essentially devil figure in smoke open up this this family time slot evening show, like drama show. I, I thought that that was impressive. Um, I thought that um, Jessica Walters' figure was quite beautiful. She she opens in this sexy red Morgana cleavage dress, and um, it just it's just a it was it was much more engaging right off the bat than I thought. And in the end, we get some more of that. There's a really, I mean, when um, the mentor figure is, he's essentially put in a coma and his spirit is taken to the higher plane so he can be killed unprotected. Um, Morgana has him. She shows strange, his mentor like strung between these ugly trees and he's painted very ghoulishly. Like he looks like a corpse um, straight out of, uh, or, or, or one of the de demonic dead spirits from Carnival of Souls. And uh, it, it was, I thought that that was a little dark um, for, for this kind of show. And I don't think that helped. I think that this is the moment where kids that would have stayed up late, you know, being like, oh, the Hulk. And they're like, okay, huh? well, you can watch it. And then they'd be like, honey, go to bed. This is gruesome. I thought that that would have been a little much. Of course, it's super tame today, but um, we didn't have NCIS back then at the time. And of course, uh, I've mentioned him several times. Lindmere is the Sorcerer Supreme who is presumably going to change Doctor Strange, uh, Lindemir, and he's played by John Mills, who died in 2005 and was a super, super prolific 40s and 50s actor, especially. He acted all the way up until his death, but um, he was in the 46 Great Expectations, uh, Hobson's Choice in, in 1954, very, very, very successful. Um, he was also in a production of Cats in 98, which was not the most recent one, uh, but if, if anyone has seen that, he played uh, the role of Gus, the theater cat, which was Ian McKellen in the new, very, very strange rendition of a very strange musical. So that I think does it for the 1978 TV film, uh, AKA pilot, Dr. Strange from the Marvel property. Let's go around the horn and talk about, would we recommend it? And if so, to who and why? Jeff, would you recommend this film to someone and why? You know, it, it actually does have some good parts like the, the acting's pretty good. Um, you know, it definitely has some some talent in there. Uh, the music, you know, is a little overpowering, but it is quite good. Um, and uh, I, I wouldn't necessarily still recommend. I mean, if you're like interested to go back and like, uh, you know, watch a little thing that could have been something, uh, and then have lots of dreams and imaginations, uh, you know, I think it's maybe worth watching. Um, like I, if, if it were me, I'd go back and I'd remake this, get rid of all the romance. I love Sam and Diane, you know, but it doesn't belong in the, the, the first episode. I think the most interesting thing in this film is this kind of like battle of wits between uh, Morgan Le Fay and the Sorcerer Supreme. Um, and Dr. Strange in this film is almost just like a pawn, you know, he's just like a, a, a mouse that these two are kind of toying with. Um, I want to just dive so hard into that and basically end this pilot with him becoming the Sorcerer Supreme. And then he's going to go through learning and I don't know, some sort of hijinks in the show. Um, I think that's, that would have been more interesting. Um, I like that. I like the idea of actually, it could have, it could have actually made sense of the hero rejecting his, his chosen status, you know, moment that happens in the hero's journey 
Like it could have made sense of that and actually could have made it a plot point. Like in the comics- Yeah, stop toying with me. Right. I'm like, a man, you know, leave the, me alone. You know, it's like for the higher good, you're still sacrificing this man's normal life, right? It would have yeah. been very interesting. Um, I think that there's lots of elements that could still be taken from that had they done a series, but I agree with you. And I liked the chemistry between, I think I thought uh, uh, the Clear Lake character was well done, but it just, yeah, it was- Put that in the series, Put right. like save that yeah. for later. Like. It, there's just not enough space for it and it's just not interesting enough to hold a, hold a Agreed. basically a pilot good good comment mandy would you recommend the 1978 dr strange film to anyone and if so why and if not why not eh, i don't think that i would ask anyone to spend an hour and a half of their time on this um as as you did Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> gotcha. yeah no um it's just kind of like we've already just discussed at length it's kind of like a big yawn it poses a couple interesting questions of like what the show would have been like but obviously that didn't happen um yeah i don't know like it's just kind of like like i said coming into this like meh, meh. fair fair Tad, would you recommend this film to someone and why or why not? Not recommended because we have something better now. As a matter of fact, I could tell that uh, the, the, the creative team behind the 2016 film definitely kept this old pilot in mind when they were creating the new movie because I stopped, like as soon as the, the Doctor Who tunnel started in this, in this one, I paused it went over to Disney plus and watched the transition and everything from the multiverse scene from the 2016 movie and went, Oh, that's right. I remember how much I love this movie. And then went back to this normal movie, but um, we can just watch the new Dr. Strange movie. And then the new one that's coming out, I don't know, next year now. I don't yeah, know when I think it's, I think it's been bumped again. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think, I think that's fair. I think the average moviegoer, definitely is going to find the benedict cumberbatch one more interesting i know that there's some people who didn't like it i actually found it the most refreshing of uh many of the recent marvel properties i mean i think they're all enjoyable to a certain extent but that one actually was a strong standalone film about an interesting character and of course you had incredible acting talent on it as well um there were complaints understandably about tilda swinton playing a character called the ancient one that seemed by context to uh have been better cast as an asian person i will say in the comics it did not it's never appeared that the ancient one was an asian person that's not uh <laughs> yeah we're seeing the doctor strange animated film uh dvd uh the jeff is showing the screen um <laughs> <laughs> and uh and that's an interesting one that one is very close to the film uh the 2016 it is. and that just came out in 2007 so yeah. i was just gonna say that we had a better version in 2007 it's true it's yeah. true um and and that one's very interesting too because i think we have a lot to talk about with that with the dr mordred film up next but i think um i think we can just take pride in the fact that while they didn't cast an asian person as the the one the, the leader of the mystic arts at least they cast a woman um and that is a bonus because otherwise this story is full of strong male men that sort of overpower women it's just an odd dynamic that we see time and time again and in the 2016 film that was sort of subverted so good for them 
Uh, also, Tilda Swinton plays a very androgynous character in that. She happens to be a biological woman, but it's never made to be as though she is a woman one way or the other. Uh, that's, any- that's kind of her shtick. Remember Constantine? Oh, like, sure. sure. I mean, favorite. Tilda Swinton loves to straddle that line, and she's a great actress. I mean, I think I agree with you. I think her performance as an angel in Constantine was the, the peak pinnacle nerd moment for me with Tilda Swinton. She's great. But anyway, we're going to get to me. I'm going to just round it up with this. This film is a little dull, um, but if you are a fan of the comics, of any comics, and you like finding these, you know, what was often only available via bootlegs, we actually watched a bootleg that I picked up years before it was released on DVD, remastered by Shout Factory, which is a much better transfer. The one we had is not terrible, but the Shout Factory transfer, which is still available, is uh, much better. Pick it up see what the fuss is about especially if you like the the uh, 70s 80s hulk show or the the early or late 60s is it late 60s spider-man show i believe watch it um check it out it's it's worth your time because it's in that same vein but it's very different and it would have been cool to see another series pick up with a different spin a different focus and sort of i think a different age level um so There we go. That's it for this section, but we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and talk about 1992's Dr. Mordred. Hey, cult and classic crew, friends and fiends of the pod, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Nate, I don't have any money, and if I did, I'd be spending it on cool things like buttons and custom trading cards and zines that are unique and made each week by the cult and classic podcast family. And guess what? You can do both of those things at once. You can support cultandclassicpodcast.com and get awesome swag like buttons and custom trading cards that are printed on actual trading card stock by actual trading card printers and autographed by the artist. And also zines like classic issues of rearted with comics and illustrations and interviews, as well as brand new Cult and Classic Podcast family publications that uh, are brand new. So you'll get them first in line. These are awesome, awesome things that you can get just by joining our Patreon at patreon.com slash cult and classic podcast. For as little as a dollar a month, you can get videos of our episodes. You can see all our lovely shining faces as well as exclusive content like extra episodes, film reviews, book reviews, and things like commentary by us on our short films, which you'll also be able to see. If you want to pay a little more, $5 a month per se, US, then you get an awesome autographed custom trading card. These are official printed uh, at the same place that prints every other trading card you've ever bought and they're autographed by the artist. These are exclusively for Cult and Classic Podcasts and inspired by our episodes. They, you can't get them anywhere else except through us. Only $5 a month, you get it shipped right to you. Shipping is free. If you pay $10 a month, if you are a true drinker of the Kool-Aid for cultandclassicpodcast.com, then you will get uh, the trading card, access to all of the content that is exclusive to Patreon members, and you will get a brand new zine every month, whether it's a classic uh, copy of Rearded Zine uh, with interviews, comics, art, all sorts of cool stuff, or brand new Cult and Classic Podcast family publications. Those will get sent straight to your door. Plus there's usually extras like pins, stickers, all sorts of cool stuff. So you're doing two great things. You are spending money on awesome swag and you are supporting Cult and Classic Podcast. I know it's tough right now in the pandemic. If you can do it, join us at Cult and Classic Podcast Patreon. If you can't, 
why don't you recommend it to a friend? We all have those rich friends and uh, they can spread it around a little more. I'm just going to say it. All right. Thank you so much. And uh, as always, Colton Classic Podcast loves you. And we are back. Okay, fans, we are going to tackle Dr. Mordred from 1992. This is a Full Moon production by Albert and Charles Band. Charles Band, of course, head of Full Moon. And Albert Band is his father who produced, uh, wrote, and directed some films uh, before this, uh, back in, I think, the 70s. Um, Very interesting record. There's a lot to talk about before we even get to the actual movie with this. Because first off, as we all know, we here at Colton Classic Podcast are big fans of Full Moon Pictures, Full Moon Features, Full Moon Productions, Full Moon Direct, uh, Full Moon Streaming, all of those things which are Full Moon Video. And uh, we've done some great ones. Uh, my personal favorite, Head of the Family. Um, we also, I mean, what have we've done so many Terror Vision, uh, Bad Channels. We've done a lot, and we will do a lot more because they've done some fantastic stuff. This is a very interesting film because of course it looks straight up like a doctor strange ripoff um there's a very good reason for this this actually began production as doctor strange um but mid production probably early production actually or pre-production they lost the license now why did they lose the license why did they have the license in the first place lots of questions marvel was going through lots of trouble in the uh, mid to, to late 90s. In fact, in 1996, some of you may not remember, especially young listeners may not remember, Marvel filed for bankruptcy in 1996. They, I believe they filed several times uh, in, in, in ensuing years for various types of debt relief uh, in addition to this. But they filed uh, because they were losing money, because the comic market sort of crashed. It was full of special edition covers, you know, 11 copy, 11 different covers of one issue. Image Comics had begun with Spawn and Savage Dragon and uh, Youngblood and essentially a huge chunk of their best talent. Uh, Eric Larson, Jim Lee, of course, Todd McFarlane at the time, Rob Liefeld had left Marvel because of Marvel's draconian licensing issues where if you created anything on their time, you lost all ownership of it. So you had to physically quit in order to do anything of your own. Um, So they did. They got together and they said, we're going to start Image Comics, which is still here. Image Comics really dove in hard to the multiple uh, covers thing and the special editions and launching a million titles because of their success, which contributed further to the collapsing of the market when people realized that these issues were not really collectible at the time because so many were being printed, there was no scarcity. Uh, it, It was both a dark time and an amazing time. The dark time in that Marvel was grasping at straws and licensing out everything they possibly could to try and make money. Some results of this were the 1992 Albert Pyun uh, Captain America film. It's actually 1990, excuse me. 1992 uh, is, is when they started talking about a director's cut, which actually has been released in pirated copies. In fact, rumor is Albert Pyun himself was selling uh, the director cut versions of that film. Uh, interesting film i'm sure we will get to it on colton classic podcast at some point it's it's fascinating to look at some great practical effects some great set design um but very strange script uh it starred matt salinger uh who is actually jd salinger's famous author son uh as captain america um but the reason i mention that is because albert pion has also of course worked a lot with full moon and we actually did an albert pion movie uh when we did um just slips 
vicious lips that's right uh which was very odd <laughs> oddly put together film it's also known as, as pleasure planet um i think even pleasure dome in some regions but anyway back to the point that was one of the things marvel had done marvel had also uh been licensing out spider-man the most interesting fact is that canon famous for schlocky action pictures they did some some interesting uh charles bronson movies they did a lot of really fascinating movies um actually that i love lots of cult fan fandom in there but they got the property they i don't know how you would not know this but they didn't understand what spider-man even was uh so they actually thought it was a horror series uh and they got a a they they hired a, a well-known horror writer to uh write a series where peter parker became a giant tarantula and they were trying to get toby hooper fantastic director of um of course, Texas Chainsaw Massacre fame and many others to direct. Uh, Stan Lee said no uh, and refused that and said, we're not going to, you know, although I'm sh they were licensed out, so they probably could have done certain things, but they were like, well, we're not going to do that then. So what they did is uh, James Cameron eventually picked up uh, the license with one production house and James Cameron wanted to do like a hard R Spider-Man. Um, where he was doing a parallel story between the, the, the changing to a spy, you know, Spider-Man with puberty, which is interesting because, of course, the incredible Spider-Man 2 with Tobey Maguire, Kirsten Dunst, Sam Raimi at the helm, um, did not with puberty. They touched on that in the first film, but then they kind of took it to a higher uh, level and did it with um, erectile dysfunction, with his webs running out, things like that. They, they worked with these mature themes in the Sam Raimi trilogy and uh, to great effect, I think. So it was interesting to see that come up here, but there was like a uh, a seduction scene with an R-rated sex scene with um, with MJ uh, in it. It would have been fascinating to see, uh, but it, they couldn't get it together. Who knows why? I mean, James Cameron, of course, then went on to become very successful. Uh, he was just moderately successful at the time. But anyway, that's to show that all of their big properties were out the door. Of course, the 1994... Fantastic Four film by Roger Corman was made, which has still never officially been released and is a tragedy, tragic story because the people in the film did not understand that this was literally never intended for release. The only reason they did it was for contractual obligation to keep the property. So basically, Roger Corman and mostly probably his second unit directors and things made the entire film simply to shelve it uh, and really, really hurt some, some poor actors' careers. Uh, but you can find that. I'm sure we'll talk about it more on Colton Classic. Again, this is the show that Marvel was literally pawning everything possible, everything possible to try and get some money. Well, Full Moon Video got a hold of this. And for whatever reason, they ended up losing it before they could make it happen. But of course, the telltale signs are all there. Number one, it's called Dr. Mordred instead of Dr. Strange. He has a cape and a medallion with powers, just like Doctor Strange. Um, and is what was the tagline for uh, for Doctor Mordred? I think it's um, uh, Master of the Unknown. Uh, you know, it's like it's just very, very close. S super cool though that Jeffrey Combs, great actor, um, most famous for playing uh, uh, Herbert West in the Reanimator series by Brian Yuzna. Um, plays Dr. Mordred in this. I, I guess you can, we could use Dr. Strange interchangeably. Same character. I mean, really, he's the same character. He protects this world. There's a voice that tells him what to do. 
Um, it's not an origin story at all. Uh, we do not get his origin. We don't even, he doesn't actually seem to be human. And the reason I say that this is Doctor Strange is it's easier to talk about the things that they changed from the Doctor Strange storyline than it is to talk about what they kept the same because they kept as much as possible the same. The villain uh, is a big sorcerer called Cabal, which is um, uh, essentially the villain from the 2016 Doctor Strange film. Um, they, he was another trained sorcerer, trained the same way that uh, Stephen Strange did, or in this case, Dr. Mordred did, uh, except went the evil route. So it's just, uh, it's not even a parallel. It's a carbon copy in most cases. There are, though, some really cool, weird, weird full moon touches in this movie. First of which, I want to mention the music. The music is by Charles Band, as many of his films are, and it's got this, like, great... Um, listeners, if you're familiar with Robocop and you know I love Robocop, it Robocop has this super amazingly like satirical 50s like championship superhero, the good always wins theme track. Like it's so it's so out there and like heroic that it actually becomes a piece of the satire itself that Frank Miller and others were creating with Robocop. That's the level that they aspire to in the Dr. Mordred theme in the beginning. Like it's just rousing and orchestral and like bigger than the actual movie itself. Um, and then you get like these interludes of Charles Band's typical music, which is good. Um, it's, but it's, it's going to sound like Puppet Master. It's going to sound like um, all of their later, you know, middle 90s films as well. And that's totally fine. He's a good soundtrack crafter. We get uh, a romance in this one, too, forming between uh, Dr. Mordred and his uh, neighbor in this old apartment building. And his neighbor is, is played by Yvette Nepar, who uh, I know most specifically for playing uh, Detective Madigan in the RoboCop TV series, <laughs> bringing it always back to RoboCop. Um, but this is the plot. There is an evil sorcerer who is sort of the antithesis to uh, the protective Dr. Mordred, and he broke loose from his celestial prison, and he's on Earth. He's actually an alchemist, and he's collecting uh, materials like diamonds to do a spell of some kind or some sort of transmogrification, which will allow his demon children he calls them his 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 entities from that celestial prison to the earth where he can wage war and destroy mankind on the planet don't really know his game plan after that point not a clue guess it doesn't matter um dr mordred is of course charged this is his entire purpose is to defeat this evil when it comes and now it is coming uh brian thompson is the uh the villain um, and he is super recognizable. We've seen him as a huge bodybuilder. Um, he played Shao Kahn in Mortal Kombat Annihilation. That's the second one from 97. Uh, he was the Night Slasher in Cobra with Stallone. He plays a lot of, um, of like great villains. He's played some other things as well, but great villains, I think, are, are some of his, his best features and he's still alive i mean he was only born in 59 and he's still making movies um he's in a, a, a the tragedy of macbeth coming out this year so fun to see him he he sort of chews the scenery a bit but i mean i think that's to be expected that's his character he's a 90s uh comic book movie villain he's super muscled and he has long blonde hair that's pulled back into what looks like a mullet and he wears sunglasses i mean and he has a giant chiseled jaw like this is literally his like 
shtick and he knows exactly how to roll with it and he does it the i guess for me and i'll start with the failings of this movie is that it never peaks there's really no climax um there's some cool effects there's some cool moments but the ultimate defeat of um cabal is sort of i'm like you look at it and you're like well why didn't dr mordred do that to begin with it didn't make any sense to me. like i just didn't i didn't know why um and i'm i'm wondering how much of that sort of lack of uh i'm wondering where this movie was in production and securing of things like sets and set pieces and some of this footage was from another unfinished full moon project like how much was done or in process when they lost the licensing and had to change directions um let's start with you jeff what were you expecting from dr mordred and what's your takeaway now that you've seen it you know i'm, I'm starting to uh, you know get excited for full moon productions um, not because they make great films, but they always find the fun and like yes. just the thing. And I think the thing that struck me about this film is the set pieces are actually quite good, um, which I think is really, I, I honestly, I think that's the one of the biggest advantages of the full moon. I think they had a really great set department. Um, like that apartment, the Dr. Morgan oh my apartment God. is like, I love it. Like it's they a got a apartment. lot it's, of use out of it. It's what everybody wants and dreams I've... of when they move to New York and so mm -hmm. far away from anything they will ever attain. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've been scanning Zillow. Books, yeah. Corner building, you know, uh, inlaid mm -hmm. design on the floor, fireplace, a pet raven named Edgar Allen. Like yeah. these are the things <laughs> that never going to happen. Never going to happen. Um, I thought it was funny that Yvette's character uh, at one point, uh, she plays a character, Samantha Hunt, is like, is like uh, she finds out he's a landlord because nobody who lives in the building knows who the landlord is, which is insane. Um, but they don't know. And they're like, uh, and she's like, he's like, you're not going to tell anyone, are you? And she's like, that depends. Are you going to fix my garbage disposal? And he goes, consider it done. And I'm like, bitch, <laughs> that, first off, that building is from like 1895. <laughs> number one number two you don't have a garbage disposal and you certainly like what it just it was so out of the element it was like it was like they were talking about it like it was um uh uh the the apartment from that john lovett's um landlord uh movie what was that one called uh the super was that what it was called um and like it was like it was that like crawling i'm like this is like the most beautiful apartment complex I have ever seen like this is where stars stayed um you know when they when they when they actually became famous and, and weren't just like the cast off you know a foreigners of the american of the american east yeah jeff sorry i totally ran over you but that oh no amazing. um but yeah i mean i just uh like yeah like this apartment they had like um i don't know some weird scrolls and like lots of books and um a giant you know, like he had this orb in the middle that he summoned his you know his spirit guide or whatever uh and then he had like a portal that he could open in like this gigantic map that like he was like tracking events on i don't know it just there was just so much detail and interesting things going on in this place it really like came alive um and was like an interesting it kind of reminded me of like bad channels like that like radio station they like basically got the entire film in this one set but they like made a really interesting set um uh, that you know allowed for the film to well you know, 
to, and because to, of where they shot from only a couple of angles in that i'm assuming it's actually a real location rather than a built set which i think they're expert yeah. at doing because it's cheaper in many cases but it made me want to know i'm like where the hell is this place like does it still exist because it yeah. really was it was quite masterful and i'll just throw up to on the back of that the uh the floating like prison I don't even know what you would call it. It's like a floating section of land in this other dimension um, where Cabal and his demons were held. It's it's not as classy as that because obviously it is created from something, but it was really interesting to see. Like yeah. the demons are held behind this sort of wall-mounted sewer cover of bronze with the symbol that um, Dr. Mordred has on his emblem. We assume he created it. We don't really know the details of that. but uh, And it's guarded by um, the like grizzled country knight with a grenade launcher that shoots lasers. I, I wasn't quite sure I got his character, but I didn't really care because it was, his name is Gunner. Just he's played, fun. Yeah, he was played by Rich Brinkley. And that's sort of the thing that, especially Thor comics in the 80s and 90s did that, and even before that, like I loved the, and I like this in the Thor films of, of, of late, despite the fact that they've all been imperfect, is that Thor in the Marvel comics was often after his his first few years of creation he became a sort of science fiction story um where asgard was an alien world and there were other alien gods and creatures um like i think beta ray bill who i really want to see in a, a a marvel film like these like the horse god like i want to see these characters they're really off the wall and in the comics they got away with having them because they were amazing jack kirby loved creating these celestial beings and we loved reading them because it was something new every time and that's what full moon likes to do in these kinds of movies and i think when they were actually probably released from their contract or you know when they lost the licensing for doctor strange it probably freed them up to do something little wonky like this like well we don't have this whole centerpiece so let's make it on this planet that we had for another movie and throw in a weird like sass talking tooth missing uh you know redneck hillbilly knight with a gun um it just it, it worked for me like you said it was fun i didn't care that it was kind of stupid um yeah mandy we're, we're gonna let's jump right in here what what was your take on this what did you expect and what did you get oh man so at first, I was expecting kind of more of the same from Doctor Strange and Doctor Mordred, but I was pleasantly surprised that this was a lot of fun. I, as I mentioned before, the pleat-fronted pants, just like the costumes in general, his like shoulder-fitted cape. I was obsessed through the whole film. The cape like... is awesome. Before we started this section, <laughs> uh, Tad and Jeff and I were all talking about the cape because unlike like a party city cape or something where it's just it's just a rectangle fabric that has a pull mm -hmm. string at the top that you tie around your your neck and always chokes you this one had full like shoulder pleat with like a chest strap so like mm -hmm. it actually hung like you see in every comic book like this is what you know uh this is what batman's cape would essentially be like it would be some sort of shoulder mounted thing like it just makes sense yeah. it was a fitted like a shoulder fitted garment like not just a cape it was, it was a garment it was um, over but, like a polo shirt but i mean right <laughs> yeah know. it was it definitely it this hat i mean it was like full moon but like the costuming was really 
I felt was really good, but it definitely still had sort of like low budget, maybe made for TV kind of feel to it. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, this is like clothing that I might buy and wear, like just around the house. Like it's not anything really super high end or like, um, like polished for production value or anything. Um, but yeah, so I was pleasantly surprised, um, like as my expectation and, um, I thought this one was just, um, really fun. Uh, nothing super thought provoking, just a good old romp, um, kind of silly movie with some magic elements to it. Yeah. And, I, you know, an animated dinosaur skeleton, which was just yes, like the cherry on top. So something that Charles Band and Fullman features often have ever since, um, uh, puppet before puppet master laser blast and things like that is stop motion animation and sort of what serves as the climax of this film is um cabal is has stolen the sorcerer's stone which is in the metropolitan museum of of history is that what it is i think um and whatever the met history section and uh it's I like that instead of like a, a rock you can hold in your hand, which is what it's often depicted as. And like, I'm thinking of like Full Metal Alchemist and, and Brother and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a giant brick with a hollow in it, which actually is a really cool idea because if you're talking about alchemy, you're mixing ingredients um, and doing essentially chemistry. The mm-hmm. fact that the Sorcerer's Stone would actually be a slab that you would be mixing things on that could interact with the the materials you're putting in there that's actually a really cool idea i thought that, that was mm-hmm. super brilliant yeah um right. and i don't know if it's pre-existent if, if that actually is what it's referred to in some text i really don't know but i thought that that was kind of a stroke of genius but anyway cabal f- gets this piece which is the last thing he needs to open the gateway to this prison planet and bring his minions over and uh dr mordred can't get there in time because i think it's hilarious not only can he not fly or anything but He's like, I can't get there in time. Traffic is terrible. I thought it was a hilarious <laughs> moment. But so he asks for projects. Um, and, and Samantha's character has to watch over his body. And he asks for projects to the museum to stop Cabal. Here's what's weird. It's Cabal's like, you can't beat me. You're just an astral form. But but then Dr. Morgan's like, but I can <laughs> cast spells. And he casts a spell and attacks him. And then he's like and then but just one and then that's it yeah. like it, it knocks him and then he's like i'm powerless and there's two <laughs> guards two guards come in like they're, they're actually police officers which by the way the police in this movie are dumb as literal dirt um and that's actually offensive to dirt they're so incompetent um but i mean maybe it's realistic i mean we've seen a lot of weird shit the last decade here but so we've got um uh, don't put me on a list or anything okay nsa I'm too late gonna, anyway uh <clears throat> of course i watch full moon movies i'm already on a lot of lists but uh i've like so these guards show up and cabal is like oh you're precious mortals like uh, how you like this and he animates the t-rex skeleton which instantly eats one of the guards or masticates him he doesn't have a stomach he doesn't eat and masticates him and then goes to the other one and dr mordred looks like heartbroken but like he can't do anything and I'm like, oh, I guess he has a limit that he can't do. And then he's like, oh, he gets an idea like a minute 45 <laughs> into this little exchange and animates the mammoth skeleton next to him to go fight 
The, like, I don't understand the limitations that were posed that caused this conundrum. Well, the start didn't even make any sense because it was like, oh, well, you can't, like, you know, you're not, like, in your physical form, so and you can't fight me. And him through, like, well, a display of alchemy goods. Yeah, but, like, what was he thinking? He was going to, like, fist fight him or something? Like, of course he's going to come and use a spell. Like, obviously, he has I mean, I mean, it's his entire thing. He's a master of the mystic arts. And, by the way, Jeffrey Combs is a phenomenal actor. I really love him. He adds a lot to every role. He's... If you, even if you're not be, be experienced in cult films, um, he was uh, like the an investigator in uh, The Frighteners with Michael J. Fox, Peter Jackson's awesome horror comedy. Um, he was uh, he was in the awesome Full Moon feature, the serious feature Castle Freak, the original, which where he played. I mean, that was phenomenal, and maybe we'll touch on that at some point in Cult and Classic podcast. It is such a classic. But anyway, great actor, but he's a small man, um, and. Uh, and Cabal is not a little person in this movie. He is enormous. And the like you said, the idea was going to fist fight him. Like, what in the world? What was the alter? Like, what was the alternative? Like, you had to think of that. You had to. Like, what? I don't understand. I, the whole end just just did not make sense. It was there was enough going on. I didn't care so much. But I was like, yeah. I don't know what's happening. Um, the limitations of their abilities did just confused me. Um, also, so let's go, let's go before before we get into my bit. Let's go into Tad. Tad, what did you expect when you saw Doctor Mordred, and what did you take from it now that you've seen it? Okay, so I wasn't, I didn't know that this was a full moon film until like probably twenty minutes before we watched it, and I heard Doctor Mordred, and I'm like, is this gonna be some like crappy horror ripoff? And then, and then as soon as I went oh, never mind, this is full moon. I'm going to love this. And I did. <laughs> now, to be fair, this is not on the level of Terror Vision or Bad Channels, which is basically like 1A and 1B in terms of the pure hierarchy of good but full moon films. Nothing's going to beat those two in my eyes unless you can think of something that could possibly be better than those two. Oh, we've got some on the docket, trust. Trust <laughs> and believe. So um, not only was this pretty damn faithful to the the strange mythos i mean that apartment looks like bleaker street like hardcore looks the, almost the exactly light right. coming through his sigil the, on the thing. yes it, it it literally is and it makes me think about what could have been if marvel hadn't been a giant whore in the 90s and i <laughs> remember how you said something about um the the the, the most interesting and worst times Mar of marvel in the 90s or something i'm yeah. paraphrasing you yeah. already for some um, amazing things and some horrible things. Yes, that's how I describe Rob Leefield most of the time. Some amazing things and some and a lot of horrible things. I actually, little side note on that. I actually lived kind of near him when I lived in Orange County uh, up to a few years ago. Um, and he, it's funny because we all dog on, if you're a comic fan and, and you understand Rob Leefield, he did some really cool work and did some, I mean, he's very stylized, very, he was kind of the face of image for a while because he was so stylized, but he worked for DC and Marvel and everything. And he became so like, he was doing so many books at once for image that he started doing these weird shortcuts and people started calling him on it. Like his fists were just nubs, like it real weird. Like if you Google, if you <laughs> Google like, the worst Rob Liefeld are. I mean, some of it's pretty insane. The worst one is a Captain America drawing he did for a cover, which is so unbelievably disproportionate. We're not talking like, oh, his muscles are out of control. We're talking his his face is on the side of his head. His pec <laughs> is both on his back and his stomach. Like it's really out there. And 
it's easy to pick on it, but when you actually see him do artwork, he is a very skilled artist. And it's very easy to forget that um, when you do that. I don't know why I got on the sidetrack. You're talking about <laughs> Rob Leefield for some horrible That's, things. Um, but um, anyway, interesting side note. I've seen him do it live. Uh, he, he was doing art at a, at a church for his church function, which I, I think it was like a mega church. I can't remember, but there's a few of those out there. Um, uh, but it was it was actually impressive to see him draw these these figures. Uh, so I was Leefield. I was I was surprised. Leafield is responsible for the pockets meme. He's also responsible for most of what everyone thinks of when they think of 90s X-Men. And he's also responsible for the Tumblr that I used to follow called Rob Leafield Can't Draw Feet. <laughs> yeah, it's still there. It's still there. Um, and and I will say that um, I, I think I would say probably most people probably think of Jim Lee for X-Men, but Rob Leafield was there. And and Rob Leafield, of course, created Youngblood, which was his like, well, I can't do X-Men anymore, but here's our X-Men team for Image. Uh, yeah. Which was anyway, my, my point being is that I can only imagine the heaven I would be in if there was a full moon Marvel extended universe so fun oh my god so it would be amazing fun. i can only imagine what ghost rider would have been like if full moon had had it i can imagine, imagine so his it, he would have been a uh a, a red skull would be my guess no flames, no flames but a red skull <laughs> um and and probably so he has so when you're looking at the the danny catch you know he has the penance stare which causes you know villain or you know evil people to feel all of their sins a hundredfold turned against them it probably just would have become laser beams uh and exploded faces i'm totally for it i'm totally for it there would be slime somehow and of course um whenever uh ghost rider went to hell or anything involving women they would be topless and sure. no one would care because totally. this is one of those this is a typical full moon film where there's toplessness, but yet yeah, at the same time, it doesn't feel gratuitous. It always feels just kind of that it skirts that line of artistic and you just are like, hey, there's some tits in this movie and it doesn't bother you because, well, one, should it bother you? And two, it's done in, again, it's the same thing. Remember when we were, we had that conversation in uh, about Head of the Family, where it's like, how much was that woman topless? And at this, at some point, you just stop thinking about it because sure. she was such a great actress. Well, at a certain point, like there is a thing where it's like, well, like I'm watching a, a film right now, which will come, which I'll, I'll be doing a bonus episode on some point, which is a, a recent re-release from Unearth Films, that nudity is constant, but it is not sexualized. It's yes. actually used as a, a symbol of vulnerability because we are vulnerable when we're nude. That's why we tend to cover. That's why every time you see a person somebody burst into a room and you startle someone and they're in bed they cover up right it's a protection thing and so when you have someone nude they are no longer uh protected so i think it's interesting that they do have and i mean i will say it was once they lost the license apparently is when they turned this into an r-rated film by throwing in a couple of f-bombs and uh a topless scene the topless uh, is of course julie michaels who is um uh very beautiful and she was uh uh she was in point break the keanu reeves version um she was in jason goes to hell she was probably i think most people might think of her as denise from roadhouse so she's she's an iconic bombshell of the 90s and i actually was sad that uh that i only have like that she only had a little bit of scene because it was a good scene essentially she's a sacrifice um to it, 
I didn't even realize why she was killed by Cabal in the beginning. And then I realized it was to mark her with Dr. Mordred's logo, essentially, um, to link him to the crime. Um, presumably they don't say that but it seems to be the way that it that what it was done for and it's kind of sad because it would have been great to have her just running around topless or otherwise throughout the movie um but but yeah it's like full moon they charles band and apparently his father albert Alt, they know how to sell a movie right they're like hey this is a direct-to-video we no longer have the marvel name on this even so um we're gonna add uh a little bit of violence there's not really heavy gore at all. We're going to have a little bit of violence. We're going to have what we already were going to have, which is animatronic skeletons and, um, and <laughs> stuff like, or I mean, uh, stop motion skeletons. And uh, then we're going to have Jeffrey Combs because anytime we can use Jeffrey Combs, we're going to use him and nudity. And there you go. And I will say that she is nude um, at the, the same time uh, that um, what is, the cabal who as i said is is played by brian thompson is is heavily topless yes he has pants on but i mean i you'd be hard pressed to have a better uh, physical appearance than his chest it's really shocking like i i don't know what 36 pack he's got under his skin but it was crazy so yeah i agree it was fun and i would have loved to see this be an official doctor strange film i think that it's kind of crazy that more people don't know it. Like it's actually a little crazy that they didn't get in trouble for it because of how extremely close it is to Dr. Strange. And I imagine that Marvel's predicament at the time was the reason. Yeah. Um, I, I think probably just wrote it off. I think that it saved them because this is, it, it's a shame to me that Dr. Strange fans don't know about this movie because this yeah. would have been the Dr. Strange movie. I imagine they would have gotten some bad press. Like, you know, I don't know the details of how the license was taken back or what it was, but like, it would probably feel a little vindictive uh, and not gone over well in the public if they attacked Full Moon for. Well, and that could be why, because they were already facing such negative uh, press by the really oppressive atmosphere of the creators. Um, that eventually left and formed image. So it's like, I think you're right. I think that there was a storm. I think one, it's probably likely that they just, they had so much on their plate already that they didn't care. They're like, look, we already got some money from licensing that you've lost that you, and we're going to take it back and I don't give a shit what you do. Um, and then uh, it's, you know, you can't use our name. We're going to move on with our life and file for bankruptcy in a couple of years. And uh, Full Moon was like, well, we've Full Moon's not going to waste anything. Like they've got many movies that have never been fully produced yet have been used in other movies of theirs. You know what I mean? They're they're masters of reuse, reduce, recycle. Um, yeah, and I think that this is kind of a success. I think that the stop motion animation on the skeletons is some of their best, if not their best. I actually thought it was it was quite pretty excellent. good. Yeah. Um, the the green screening, if any, was used on that portion of the film is I couldn't tell. I mean, if look, it looked like they use large scale figures. I'm sure they didn't, but that's what it looked like. So good on them. When when the T Rex eats a person, um, yeah, I can tell he's he's. But they they were smart. They didn't green screen him. They stop motion animated him. So both the the man being eaten and the figure were stop motion animated, um, and the they're always good with their little zombie like skeleton beast creature effects so when the you know when his cabal's minions are climbing out of the the manhole on another realm it looked good i want to give a shout out in particular to the detailed when the big 
bronze or brass manhole-ish cover that's that's holding back the demons when it starts to give way and they pound on it from the other side and the dings come through that was i i still don't actually know how they did that because it was a master cut like it was a masterful cutting and effect i'm not exactly sure what they did to make that effect because it was quite beautiful quite just such a small moment but so well done um that i I took a moment to reflect how well they did that. I imagine that it was um, three different versions of the lid, one with one ding, one with two dings, one with three dings, one with no dings. And they did like just a stop and a cut. And because they had a stationary camera and a stationary, you know, set piece, um, they just swapped it out uh, in miniature. I assume that's the case. Don't know. Some other things that people who look real close will notice is that like when they're, when strange visits, um, uh, the prison planet the first time and finds out officially that uh, the that Rich Rich's character um, Rich Brinkley's character has been attacked and Cabal has escaped. Um, his character has like no eyes. It's clearly that they're appliques of some kind over his eyes, but they're kind of gruesome, right? It looks like they've been stitched shut, but they're like wide open. Um, and he's like, he took my sight and Dr. Mordred heals him. And it's a nice, cute moment. Um, but it's, it's, it's just that kind of practical effects, even when they're obviously cheap effects, you can make them satisfying to look at. It's kind of, it's artwork, you know, even yeah. if it's goofy, it's artwork and it adds interest. It also doesn't matter as much when the character interactions are so good because everyone in this movie does a great job of acting. The banter is fantastic. It feels natural. It doesn't. The script feel is actually pretty yeah. good. Um, like I think um, Samantha Hunt, the character Samantha Hunt uh, that Yvette plays, is like she has some good lines. Uh, there's the, the whole interaction in the beginning when you first see Dr. Mordred in his uh, in his room and this this this. Uh, man, this actor with his big dog, and this the old woman who lives across the hall who's like the complainer and the snoop. They're arguing about the dog, and they knock on Samantha's door because she works at the police department, even though she's not an officer, she's a researcher, and like get, try and get her to uh, take one side or the other. Like that dialogue and that interaction, they use character actors who are established in playing bit parts across TV and otherwise. They know what they're doing, they play a character well, and they take it. And it makes it, it elevates the entire scene above. Um, a normal low budget feature and it's like just picking those small roles right really really helps and that's something that i think a lot of of, of short films i mean uh, uh, low budget films don't do of course no budget films often use friends we've certainly done that um i'm no great actor yeah i've appeared in all of my insanely bad short films and some <laughs> couple of good ones um but it, it makes a difference and it makes the product look even for full moon, I feel like certain things um, are are better than others. And uh, we just lost <laughs> we just we just lost Mandy because her basement is flooding. That is why I live in Palm Springs. If the basement is flooding, it's the end of the world. Um, yeah. So thank you, Mandy, for being a part of this. I've talked a bunch on this. We can move on to recommendations here. Um, I, I will say one thing before we do, though. Uh, my biggest complaint with this movie was not that the, the climax is a little uh, is a little like one note 
um, because the effects are great and I enjoyed it one way or the other. It's that Dr. Mordred, um, much like Dr. Strange in the 78 movie that we discussed, he actually doesn't do much. Um, he really doesn't do much. Like in the comics, Dr. Strange is solving problems and he's using spells. And in these, probably because of budget limitations, but also I think just a lack of really trying to think of creative ways for him to do things, he doesn't do things. I mean, Dr. Strange should not be hampered by not being able to get across town fast enough. You know, that is not something that this character should have a problem with. Um, I thought it was hilarious that he did, but that's, it's a, it's a weak moment. Um, but still, it's full moon. It's kind of full moon in sort of their heyday as well. Um, you know, now a lot of times for budget reasons, but you'll get away with like uh, holding a puppet or a miniature instead of stop motion animating something and watching the craftsmanship in this one, it really does add so much. And it's it's appreciated uh, by by the viewer. So, uh, Tad, who would you recommend Dr. Mordred to and why? Well, the obvious uh, recommendation is anyone who enjoys Full Moon. Um, but I, I would recommend this overall. Um, this is, this is uh, another hidden gem of which I had never known as a comic book fan. I didn't realize. I knew there was an old Doctor Strange film. And uh, now I am disappointed to know that I've watched it. This one, um, this one was this. This one surprised me because it was definitely better than the Captain America films that I had watched when I was a kid. It was definitely better than the Spider-Man ones. It, it's, it's, it's sort of on that level. Um, the Incredible Hulk, when you go back and watch it now, it definitely shows its age, but it kind of has that feeling that Quantum Leap does. You're talking about uh, the TV series. Yes, yeah. um, Quantum Leap was was fascinating in its character study in the same way that star trek was but you can tell that like the production value and all that it doesn't necessarily hold up but the but the themes do and i can yeah. say that for 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 a lot of full moon productions that the themes hold up the acting holds up everything feels schlocky and definitely feels like a period of its time but these are definitely worth watching i this one this one i enjoyed and i actually was surprised how short it was I actually was like, this was the perfect length for, for me to watch. And then I went, I could have actually had, it could have gone longer and I still would have been pretty happy. Actually an extra five, 10 minutes, they might've been able to get a more satisfying ending through it. But yeah. So there was actually a sequel planned and unfortunately it didn't come to fruition, which is a bummer because I'd really like that. And I think that an extra 10 minutes giving us like that glimpse of the ultimate baddie, you know, that moment um, when we see Thanos for the first time and then the movie ends or the moment when we see um, the nameless one, like that could have added that bigger, like, Oh, what's this next part? Because in this, we don't really get that so much. We don't know possibly what the next bit could be. And I would have loved to see that even if we never did get a sequel. And I really wish we'd gotten a sequel, um, but I don't know. I don't know if they downplayed this release because, which also could be why they tapered off the ending the way they did, because they were concerned about copyright issues. That's very possible. Um, but yeah, I, I, it's the kind of movie that if you saw a sci-fi channel at nine in the morning on a Saturday and you weren't doing anything and no one was home, you'd leave it on and you'd be like, this was cool. I like this. This was fun. It's like reading uh, a junk comic book from the eighties, right? Like, it's like, Oh, that was cool. Like I, I they'll probably never continue that story. And I, I don't know that I'll really think about it that often, but I enjoyed the time I spent with it. Jeff, would you recommend Dr. Mordred? And if so, why? Yeah, it's, uh, it, uh, it hits, it hits uh, the entertainment 
buttons for me. Um, I'm trying to think of who else it would do that for. I think that, uh, uh, you know, if you're really snobby about movies, you're probably not going to like this. Uh, but if you're just in it for a good time and, and you can actually enter the film and I'm worried that I'm starting to like, like full moon films. I'm going to start <laughs> getting the expectations up oh, here. No. Um, but I, I think going in it with just being like, this is going to be silly and it's going to be fun and um, you can enjoy it. Um, so I think anybody who can go into a film like that, um, you know, without, uh, without expecting the moon is going to have a good time. I, I think that's solid. Yeah. Ha the moon. And I think, um, the full moon and i think too it's one of those weird movies where if you watched it with like your eight-year-old kid yes there's a scene where uh a, a woman is nude um and you just see her top but a woman is nude but it's not graphically gory it's not there's no actual like simulated sex is it's just it's sort of like one of those things where we all as kids watching movies and tv with our parents whatever would be like oh this person is naked in this scene and then it goes past it and you're like okay well that was kind of naughty but you know, let's move on and then you you can watch this with them it's it's one of those films where yes there's a little bit of nudity and there's some people that die it is in no way shocking or gratuitous or um there is like the impaling with the tusk that's a little it's a little gory yeah, so Cabal is impaled, okay. but it's very much a goofy. There's it blood is. on the tusk, but it's very goofy. And I agree. That is yeah. the only part. And we appreciate that, right? Because finally I get, you know, oh, the bad guy actually got shanked. Even even his henchman who is trying to kill Dr. Mordred's in, you know, inert body, um, is not really, you know, there's a little bit of blood when he gets shot in the leg, but he's not even killed, right? The police actually take him in, which as my wife walked in during the scene said, well, that's why we know this isn't a realistic movie um, <laughs> as they took him in alive, which, to which I pointed out, well, he is white. Um, you know, that's the world we live in. But anyway, I, I'll get to my recommendation. Yeah, I recommend Dr. Mordred. I think in the, in the grand scheme of full moon videos from the most epic uh, of, of crazy fun to the most cheap of churned out of which there are also many um, I think Mordred is right in the middle I think it's uh, maybe a little upper middle you know it's it's during their peak so there's as, as just a great set pieces as Tad said um, if you are a comic book fan in general and you like the kind of comic book movies that came out of the 90s where they simplified or changed backstory but we were just so glad to see comic action on screen and our favorite characters that we ate it up anyway um, you'll enjoy this. If you're a Doctor Strange fan, you actually should see this because it's fun to see the unknown Doctor Strange movie because it's not just that it was a takeoff of Doctor Strange. It was a Doctor Strange film that had to be slightly modified for legal purposes. Uh, and I think people don't really know much about that. Uh, but I would say for, the, for a person who's looking for a movie to really satisfy them, uh, like, you know, I only watch one movie a month um, and I need something that I'm going to think about a lot. Well, no, this isn't for you. This is a lazy Sunday, Sunday afternoon film. And that's what it's meant to be. And that's one of the things full moon is so great at is they aim at what you, what you want. They aim at the movie being entertaining, solidly made and having some fun, you know, I don't like the word, but nuggets of goodness, like animation or special effects uh, or practical effects or really good performances or surprise acting moments here and there in there so it elevates it above um you know cgi shark garbage although there's a place for that uh, we we hear colton classic respect it um it elevates it far above that 
and they're not trying to shoot you know for tenet which by the way the fuck uh anyway that's all i'm gonna say on that i appreciate uh you guys being here i appreciate you listeners to play us out as always is the chud with all about evil and i want to uh wish mandy uh hope that her basement is not uh, super flooded and that she didn't have any cool stuff down there like movies or comic books and guys write in we love hearing from you uh instagram at colton classic podcast gmail um at colton classic podcast at gmail.com go to our website colton classic podcast.com we also have zines for sale all sorts of cool stuff have a great day Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Colton Classic Podcast. This podcast is important to me, but what's more important are the rights, privileges, and freedom from violence of everyone in this country and in this world. And that means supporting Black Lives Matter. If you'd like to make a donation, please go ahead and visit coltonclassicpodcast.com where we have a list of places you can donate and help out. And please stay safe.